we come to Genesis chapter 16 in our series called God's Grace in the Life of Abraham. And uh, this is my sixth week here as official pastor, so it's time for a little true confessions. <laughs> I am a very impatient person. I do not like to wait, especially when driving. God ordained from the beginning of time before the foundation of the world that I should have a horn in my car and far be it from me not to use a gift that God has given to me. And so I'm not afraid to use it. So uh, I don't like when people uh, dawdle through a green light and get me stuck at the red light when they're the last car to get through, right? That bothers me. Uh, if I catch you looking down at your iPhone when the light turns green, that's a horn-worthy offense. You're going to get horned <laughs> if I catch you doing that. Uh, and one thing I really don't like is people going slow in the fast lane. So if you're going slow in the fast lane, that's a horn-worthy offense. So that, that could happen. And so uh, what happened to me on the way home from New Jersey or to New Jersey is that I got stuck behind somebody going about 50 miles an hour uh, in the fast lane. And when I'm going to New Jersey, I'm trying to break the land speed record every time. Uh, and so I don't have time to be caught behind someone doing 50. And so I blew by him on the right side, may have been exceeding the speed limit by a mile an hour or two, I don't really recall. But I blew right past a speed trap and there is a cop standing there and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm a dead man. Uh, but thankfully he must have been looking down at his iPhone or something because uh, he, he let me go. Uh, but impatience can get us in a lot of trouble, right? And if we're not careful, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble with impatience. And Abram and Sarah in this chapter get themselves in a lot of trouble with impatience and getting themselves uh, ahead of God. So uh, what we're going to see this week in this chapter is uh, a really bad plan in the first few verses. And then we're going to see very predictable consequences. And then we're going to see God's grace and mercy. And finally, we'll talk about the God who sees and then we'll talk about what it means to us. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 16, we'll read the first uh, three and a half verses through the first half of verse four. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. Okay, so the stigma of childlessness at that time was a difficult one, and especially for one through whom uh, these promised nations, uh, Sarah thought that these promised nations were going to come through her. And so uh, she's getting older, and every day that she ages, the more difficult it is, the less likely it is that she's going to have children. And so uh, she's thinking about, how am I going to have these children? And her biological clock is ticking, right? She knows that her clock is ticking, and every day that goes by is a day that she may not uh, have children. And so uh, she's got this Egyptian maid named Hagar, and we saw earlier in the book of Genesis that, that Hagar probably came north uh, with Abram and Sarah from uh, Egypt when, when uh, Abram and Sarah went down to Egypt fleeing from the famine in Canaan. 
Uh, when they left, Pharaoh gave them goods and donkeys and, and other kinds of livestock, and also maids and maid servants. And so Hagar was probably one of those maids and maid servants. So she's got Hagar, and her patience with God has reached its end. Uh, she's been 10 years waiting and 10 years is enough for her. And so she says, well, if God isn't going to bless and give me all these descendants through me, uh, then I'm going to create all these descendants through Hagar. Uh, and so she gives her, uh, her, miss, her, her maid, Hagar, to Abram as his wife. And so uh, it was a common custom in those days, if you didn't have uh, if you didn't have the ability to have children, uh, it was common custom, common practice to give your husband uh, to a maid in your house, and, and those children could be born in that house and, and be adopted by the master of the house, and then then that child would become the heir. So this is a common custom. It doesn't make it a right custom, but it's a common custom. Uh, so Abram goes into her. Uh, and of course, Abram uh, goes into her and Hagar conceives immediately. Uh, now, verse 3 tells us that they had been waiting 10 years uh, for this. So 10 years is a really long time to wait for a promise to be fulfilled, right? It's been 10 years since they've come from Ur and then Haran and now into the land of, of Canaan and still no child. Uh, Allison and uh, Brian, my kids, work at Dairy Queen. And if you drive through the Dairy Queen drive-through and you give your order, uh, there is a screen that the employees look at. And when you first give your order, a timer comes up and the screen is green. Well, when a minute passes, it turns to a minute, the screen turns yellow. And when two minutes go by, the screen turns red, as if to say, let's go, let's get this order out the door so these people start, don't scream at us because they had to wait two minutes for an ice cream cone, right? <laughs> That's the kind of society we live in. We do not wait, want to wait for anything. We, were all, we are all about instant gratification. So imagine having to wait for 10 years for God, who can fulfill a promise at any time, right? Uh, God can fulfill that promise whenever he wants to, and you've waited 10 years. Well, that's a long time to wait for a problem. Uh, and realize that it's not just the pressure of Abram and Sarah, right? I mean, they want God to fulfill this promise, but they didn't come to Canaan alone, right? We saw that uh, in chapter 14, that he's got 318 men who are in his army, we know that he brought lots of people with him from uh, Haran down to Canaan. And, and they came because Abram was telling them, uh, God has spoken to me and everybody that I bless is going to be blessed. Uh, and so he's got quite a following, right? He's quite an evangelist and he's brought these people down with him to Canaan. And you can imagine like in the early days and maybe in the first year, you know, all the excitement of these people, like we are, we're in the right place. We've hitched our wagon to the right guy. Uh, he's going to have this child and there are going to be children and children and blessings and blessings. And, and we've just hitched ourselves to the right wagon here. But you can also imagine like after two years goes by, three years go by, five years go by, now 10 years go by and still no child. Uh, you can imagine their ridicule, their, their, their uh, enthusiasm, their excitement turning to ridicule and scorn. Like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, Abram, you're going to be a father of the nations. How about one child? Can you produce just one? And then maybe we'll see if there can be nations following that. Uh, so they were under a significant amount of pressure, uh, Abram and Sarah were. And not only that, uh, these people from Haran, like I said, they came with, uh, with Abram. And they were expecting great things, and they're not seeing great things. And so 
they may be thinking that they have wasted their own lives by leaving what they had in Haran and coming down to Canaan to be with uh, Abram. If any of you have seen It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, uh, you know that uh, Linus convinced Sally to spend the entire night in the pumpkin patch, Halloween night, instead of going out and trick-or-treating with her friends. And at the end of the night, uh, she realizes that there is no great pumpkin. The great pumpkin who was supposed to bring all these blessings, according to Linus, never came, and she wasted her entire night. And so uh, Sally uh, you know, predict predictably calls him a blockhead and storms out of the field after an entire night, but she had missed the night of trick-or-treating. And so I'm wondering if these people from Haran were feeling the same way, like they had lost their opportunity to have their great life in Haran, but they came and followed somebody uh, down to uh, Canaan that she should not have followed. Well, uh, what happens here? Abram goes in. Uh, when Sarah makes this suggestion, I hope that I might say something like, uh, oh, yeah, Sarah, that's a great idea. I can't imagine what could possibly go wrong if we follow this plan, right? What could possibly go wrong? That sounds like a great idea. And then I hope I would say no and not go in. Uh, but hey, uh, Abram weakly and meekly goes in and does just as he's told. So he probably should have said, you know, I don't think this is God's plan. Uh, why don't we go to the Lord and pray about this a little bit? Uh, but no, he doesn't do those things. He just goes in and, and does what his wife uh, demands of him. And so uh, what happens is that, of course, Hagar conceives. And that's a very predictable thing that we would expect because that was the plan. And the irony of the whole thing is, is that in chapter 12, when... Abram and Sarah go down to Egypt, you have Abram giving his wife to an Egyptian uh, pharaoh, and now Sarah returns the favor, giving her husband to an Egyptian maid when they get back in Canaan. So uh, Sarah's getting even a little bit, I think, but uh, she also wants to have her, uh, her uh, progeny, uh, and, and she doesn't think it's going to happen through her. So there are very predictable consequences of this uh, this really bad plan, and, and we'll see those predictable consequences as we read on uh, from the middle of verse 4 through verse 6. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Well, Sarah is undoubtedly master over Hagar. But Hagar's got something now that it looks like Sarah's never going to have, right? Uh, Hagar looks like she is going to be the mother of the child of the promise. And uh, so we're going to have a reversal of social status and familial status, right? Uh, Hagar is this meager maidservant uh, who is probably unknown in the house, and now she's going to rise all the way to the level of potential mother of the child of the promise, whereas uh, Sarah is going to be knocked down a step or two because she is not going to be the mother of the child of the promise. And so you can imagine uh, Hagar maybe strutting around the house a little bit, a little proud, a little rebellious, maybe uh, a sideways glance here or, two, or there at uh, Sarah. And you can also imagine Hagar kind of gathering with her friends and, you know, rejoicing amongst themselves about uh, their great fortune, but also, you know, snickering, maybe pointing at Sarah, maybe making fun of her a little bit that she can't have uh, children. And uh, men, 
you know that women hear and see everything. So uh, hey, uh, Sarah did not miss this, right? She saw that this was, was going on in her house uh, and she immediately became irate and offended. And so we have family strife, predictably, as a result of what happened here. Uh, the mistress despised Sarah and that happened in her very sight. Uh, and so what does she do? She blames Abram. May the Lord judge between you and me, not taking any responsibility for herself, for, for it being her plan. She says, may the Lord judge between you and me. Uh, and that's the way they blamed each other in the ancient Near Eastern culture. They made, made the Lord judge between you and me. So uh, Abram is like, hey, it's got nothing to do with me. This was your idea. She's your maid. You do with her as you please. But in so doing, what does he do? He, he completely relinquishes his responsibility as head of household uh, and spiritual leader of his home to do what needs to be done in his house. And he doesn't do that. And so the, the result is complete family dysfunction. And what you have is in, instead of Abram saying, uh, gathering the women and saying, look, we, we made a mistake. Let's go to God. Let's ask for forgiveness of God and let's reconcile among ourselves. And, and Abram saying, you know, this is how it's going to be from now on. Uh, Hagar, you're going to treat Sarah well. Sarah, you're going to treat Hagar well. And, and we're going to see what God does with this. He, he doesn't do any of that. Uh, and so this family dysfunction results. And what you see here is three completely unbiblical responses. Abram's solution to the problem is what? He, he pulls back, right? He says, your problem, not my problem. That is not a biblical response. Sarah says, okay, if it's my problem to deal with, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to treat this woman as harshly as I possibly can. That's not a biblical response either. And then what Hagar does, the third unbiblical response, is that she's going to run away. She takes off. And that's not how you deal with, with this kind of conflict either. Uh, so when you think about it, how bad must it have been for Hagar? I mean, she's pregnant. She's poor. She has uh, no money to go with. And she is going to try and make this 225-mile journey through the desert back from Canaan to Egypt. That's where she's headed. Uh, you may have run away from home as a kid. You may have been punished unfairly by mom and dad, been grounded unfairly by mom and dad, and you said, uh, I'm mad as heck and I'm not going to take this anymore. And you, you smash your piggy bank and take out your quarters and dimes and you decide that you're going to, to make it on your own. And then it starts to get dark and you start to get hungry and you realize that your quarters and dimes aren't going to take you as far as you had hoped. And so you come home, and, and usually you get home before mom and dad even realize that you were gone. Uh, but, but Hagar had a lot more fortitude and resolve than that. We're going to see that she made it a, a fairly long way. Uh, but she's off in the wilderness now. But let's see about God's grace and mercy. We'll read verses 7 through 12. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of his brothers. Okay, so uh, Hagar is on, on the road. She's in the wilderness. Now, 
Uh, this is where she started. She was in Canaan here. And she, you can see that she made it a pretty significant distance. This is where the angel of the Lord is going to meet her. She's on this road to Egypt called the Way to Shur. And that's where she's going, back home where, where she was from. Now, she was going to try and make this 225-mile walk without provisions, without protection, uh, and pregnant. So uh, it might, had to be pretty bad uh, in, in, uh, in Sarah's house for her to, to give that a try. Uh, but that's what she's going to do. And then uh, the angel of the Lord appears to her. Well, this is the first appearance of, of what we hear of, of the angel of the Lord in the Bible of, of many times. And most scholars think that the angel of the Lord is a, uh, a pre-born or a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who appears to, uh, to Hagar here. Before he's born as a man, he makes several appearances in the Old Testament. And uh, he is going to be, obviously he's Jesus, he's full of love and mercy. Uh, and he's going to show love and mercy to, to Hagar here. Uh, I want you to see that his love and mercy is not restricted by class, right? This Hagar is just a poor servant girl of not much significance, uh, uh, you know, humanly speaking. You know, she has no social status or anything like that. She's not wealthy, but she is a child of God, and God loves her. And so God uh, thinks of all of us as his children, and, and so he takes note of Hagar. And... Uh, that's why Jesus came to die for all of us, right? He, he didn't die for the rich and uh, he didn't die for the social elite. He died for all of us so that all of us, if we believe that he died for our sins and rose from the dead, we too can have eternal life. And, and, and Jesus doesn't come uh, uh, favoring some social, economic, racial, or ethnic class. He came for each and every one of us. And Hagar here is about to experience uh, the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. Uh, so, but the first thing he's going to do is he's going to call her Sarah's maid. Now, just because it was custom of the time to allow this type of union between uh, Hagar and Abram doesn't mean that God approved of that custom, right? Uh, God didn't like that custom. And so, you know, we may be tempted to let Abram off the hook here a little bit, maybe not hold him accountable, because you'll recall that God never said to Abram that you will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky through Sarah. All he said was you were going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So maybe he thought, well, I guess I could have new, uh, descendants numerous as the stars of the sky through all kinds of women if he wanted to. But before we let Abram off the hook, let's remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that says that uh, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So God's not into adultery, and God's not into polygamy, even though some of the people that we encounter in the Bible practice that. And God is not into a lot of the social customs uh, that we have deemed to be acceptable, right? God has a perfect standard of morality that never changes and never has changed. So even though our laws and our standards of morality change, God's standards of morality never change. Think about America in the last 50 years. We have outlawed the teaching of creationism in schools. We have legalized abortion. 60 million babies in America legally murdered since Roe versus Wade in 1973. We've taken down the Ten Commandments from the schools and from the courthouses. Uh, we have not allowed religion to be taught in school at all. 
we have legalized marijuana, so people can just get high when they want to get high, uh, and, and, and that's okay now. Uh, we have legalized and normalized homosexual behavior, and we've legalized homosexual marriage. And now, uh, if you wake up as a male feeling female today, it's okay for you to go hang out in a woman's bathroom uh, and just feel female that day. And, and people who I respect as intelligent people see no problem, no dangers to our wives and daughters. Now, I think this country has gone completely off the rails in a whole lot of ways. I, I don't know uh, how people can logically get to the places that they get to, but so many of us do, and so that so many of us do that, that the laws are being changed to accommodate these kinds of things. And, and it just goes to show that our standards of morality change. But, but God is never going to okay this. Uh, and I think he's going to judge our country for the things that we have done. And I think that he may, in fact, be judging us already uh, for the things that we have done. So God's not into uh, these changing social customs of ours. And God doesn't recognize this union between Hagar and uh, Abram, he calls her Sarah's maid, right? He doesn't call her Abram's wife. He calls her Sarah's maid. Um, so he asks, the angel of the Lord asks this question, to where are you coming and to where are you going? He's not asking for information, right? I mean, he's the angel of the Lord. He's God. He knows the information. He's asking for a confession so that he can require submission. And so what does is, what is, uh, Hagar say? She says that I'm fleeing from my mistress. She's essentially doing the same thing that Lot did. Lot left Abram so that he could have enough land, and he went to the east, and then he went to the south, and he got himself in all kinds of trouble. And we've only seen part of Lot's story. We're going to see a whole lot more mess in Lot's life as a result of his leaving the uh, umbrella of Abram's protect protection. Well, uh, uh, Hagar is about to leave Abram's uh, umbrella of protection too. And God doesn't want that because the blessing that God has for Hagar is not in Egypt. The blessing he's got for Hagar is back in Canaan, in, in uh, Abram's household. And so he tells her, that's where you need to get back to. Um, but how hard must it have been uh, for Hagar? She had been treated harshly. She had gotten her back up, right? She had gotten full of pride. She said, I'm not going to take this anymore, and I'm getting out of here. Now she's got to go back, and she's got to go back kind of with her tail between her legs. She's got to ask for forgiveness. She's got to submit to Sarah's authority, and that had to be a really difficult thing for her to do. Uh, but on the other hand, she's been promised incredible things from the angel of the Lord here, right? I mean, she knows she's pregnant. She, the angel of the Lord tells her that but that, that she would have descendants too numerous to count as well is, is a blessing on par with the blessing that God promised to Abram. Uh, and that's way more than a woman of her social and economic status could ever hope to achieve. And not only that, you have this, the, this child, this son who is going to be born. Uh, he is named here and he's called Ishmael. And the name Ishmael means God hears. It comes from two Hebrew words. Uh, the word for Shema means to hear. And the word El is God. So put them together, Ishmael, God hears. And the fact that God hears is not news to us, right? I, I hope and pray that you all know that God hears. Uh, I think that one way that we can know that is by keeping a prayer journal, right? If we all were, were to keep a prayer journal and we write the prayers that we have on the left side of a page and then write answered prayer down the right side of the page, we could have a constant reminder of how 
God answers our prayers and how often God answers our prayers. And so uh, that's, that's the blessing that he's, she's going to have. Uh, but about this child Ishmael, uh, I, I'm not sure. This is kind of a mixed blessing, right? If I were the mom of this child, I'm not sure what I would be thinking when I heard the rest of this story. Uh, he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Well, that doesn't sound so good, right? Uh, what does that mean? Well, well, Hebrew has two separate words for donkey. You have one word for the domesticated donkey uh, that works in your fields, and then there's another word for the donkey that is just untamed, roaming about in the wilderness. Uh, so that seems to be the kind of donkey that, that uh, Ishmael is going to be. He's going to roam around. He's going to be kind of nomadic. Uh, that wouldn't be so bad, but the fact that his hand is going to be against everyone and everyone's hand is going to be against his seems to indicate that this is going to be a guy who, uh, you know, you don't want to tangle with too much. It sounds like he likes to, likes to mix it up a little bit, like he is not really into having friends or anything like that. He's going to have a lot of enemies. And so it's really not hard to see in this, uh, the, the history of the Israeli-Arab conflict, right? The Arab nations descended from Ishmael and uh, Israel, de descended from Isaac, have been in constant conflict. And I think we just have a little bit of biblical foreshadowing of that going on here. But this Ishmael is going to live to the east of his brothers. And we've seen already that living to the east is not a good omen, right? When, when we've seen it biblically already, uh, Adam and Eve, when they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, were sent east. Uh, Cain, when he killed Abel, he was sent east. When uh, Nimrod was, was looking to build the Tower of Babel, he went east to the plain of Shinar. And Lot, when he departed from Abram's presence, went east and then south to Sodom. And now you have Ishmael heading east. So that's not a good omen to go east. If you're going east in the Bible, you probably should make a U-turn. Go head west. West is usually better. Uh, so that's where he finds himself. So you can imagine Hagar. She's like, uh, huh. I'm not sure about this offer, God. I don't know if this is a good offer or a bad offer. Uh, she might, she, you could easily imagine her saying that, but she doesn't say anything like that. She seems to be satisfied and uh, give God gratitude. So let's take a look at her response in verses uh, 13 through 16. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Be'ir Lakai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So Hagar calls on the name of the Lord, which is what we see from Abram, right? When Abram builds altars, he calls on the name of the Lord. So I expect to see Hagar in heaven, and I, and I can't wait to talk to her about this story about how the angel of the Lord met her in the desert. So that'll be a cool thing. Uh, now, she names God here. We don't, we don't see it in our English, but in Hebrew, the name of God here is called El Roy. It's not El Roy, like Elroy Jetson. <laughs> Kids, ask your parents. Uh, it's El Roy, the God who sees. Uh, that's who it is here. So the God who sees. And... You know, Hagar saw this God, and to see God was to die, but not for Hagar. For Hagar, to see God was to be blessed and to live. Why? Why would, why would God bless this insignificant maid? Because 
of his promise to Abram. God promised to bless those who bless Abram, curse those who curse Abram. Uh, he wants Hagar back under Abram's household and that, and that he will continue uh, to bless him, so, or her. So when you think that your problems are too small, when you think that you are too small and too insignificant for God to care at all about, remember Hagar. Uh, who is she? Nobody, except that she is somebody who came under Abram's umbrella of protection and blessing, and God wanted to bless her, and he blesses us too. So the well that they came to was called Beir Lakai Roy, and this is the slide, and you can see it. Oh, my bad. It's right here. Uh, and you can see that she made it a pretty significant distance. You know, that's two -thir or a third of the way, at least, to where she was going. So she had to have some pretty good fortitude to make it as far as she did. But she had this personal encounter with God. And, and what does she do? She trusted God. And so she went home, as hard as that might have been. She trusted God, she turned around, and she went home. And when she got there, what a story she must have had to tell, right, about this encounter that she had with the angel of the Lord. And it's clear that Abram and Sarah both believed the story because uh, Hagar was accepted back into the house. She lived there another 13 years. And when the child was born, Abram obediently named the child Ishmael, the God who hears. Uh, so you have a child. His name is Ishmael. Uh, but this is not the child of the promise. They have to wait another 13 years to be pregnant with the child of the promise. They'd only waited 10 so far. They still have more than double what they've already done to wait for God to do what God wanted to do in God's own time. So Hagar wanted to be released, but she was not going to be released on Hagar's time. She's going to be released in God's time. And that's going to happen in chapter 21. Uh, we'll get there in good time. But for now, uh, let's think about the things that we can learn from, from this passage today. And the first thing kind of goes along with our baby dedication that we had today is it's men lead. Uh, Carl asked David if he, if he would be the spiritual leader of his household, and David said yes. And that's what we are called to do as men. We're called to lead our households spiritually. And Abram didn't do that. Abram abdicated that responsibility, and family chaos resulted. Instead of fixing things as best as he could, he should, have, should not have gotten into the problem to begin with, but after he did, he should have been able to reconcile these people and have them be uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, reconciled together and, and restore household harmony. Now, I'm not saying that every time men that you lead spiritually, that I lead spiritually, things are going to go perfectly and swimmingly. I know from my own experience that that's not always the case. And I'm also not saying that every time that women lead spiritually that it's going to go badly. I also know from my own experience that that's not the case. But God gives us the responsibility as heads of household spiritually to lead spiritually. So don't abdicate that responsibility like Abram did. Uh, men lead. Second, return and submit. We all hate authority, right, in some way or another. It's no fun to be under authority, and, and we can tend to revolt a little bit against authority. We can tend to uh, get our backs up against authority. Uh, but look, we're all under some kind of authority. If you have a job, you have a boss. If you're self-employed, you have clients, and, and they're your boss. If you're a child, you live in your parents' house, and the parents are the boss. We all live in the United States, and the government and its laws are our boss. And ultimately, we're all under God's authority. So we all are under some measure of authority, whether we like it or not. So uh, if you think your boss is a jerk, if you think your parents are dumb and they don't know what they're doing when they make these laws and rules and, and punish you in your house, 
uh, you are supposed to return and submit if you're being rebellious against that authority. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 6 are all about authority in the home. And Romans 13 is all about uh, responding to governmental authority. And, and we're promised throughout the Bible that God will bless us when we submit to authority. So as hard as it is to have to bite the bullet, we have to return and submit to authority if we're out of line with authority. All right, the third thing, resolve conflict biblically. What happened here is the model of what not to do in every way possible uh, in terms of how we resolve conflict. We don't blame others. Uh, we don't gossip behind other people's backs. If, if we are wrong, we admit it, we confess it, we ask for forgiveness. If we feel like we have been wronged, we don't gossip to other people. We go to that person and we say, my feelings were hurt. Uh, let's see if we can work this out and resolve this. Uh, what happened here was uh, a failure to, to resolve conflict biblically and a spiral of circumstances going down and down and down because they didn't deal with it the way the Bible calls us to deal with our uh, conflict. So many, many worse things happen when we don't deal with conflict biblically, and we see that uh, throughout this, uh, this story. And finally, be patient. It's so hard to be patient. Uh, I know myself and I know many of you have, a tr have trouble with patience. It's, it's just hard to be patient. Um, Abram and Sarah cooked up their own scheme here, but they did not speed up God one second by their impatience, right? God has his own timetable and he's going to move according to his own timetable no matter how impatient we get. Uh, so it doesn't do us any good to try and get out ahead of God. Um, Abram has experienced this kind of, of getting out ahead of God before when he went down to Egypt and that caused problems. Now he's done it again and he's still not done doing it. He's going to do it more in his life, but uh, there, is a, there is God's timing and there's everything else. And God's timing was that Abram was going to be blessed when he was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. Why? because he didn't want anyone to be able to say that this could happen any other way except God miraculously providing this child when they were way, way past childbearing age. And so that's how God gets the most glory when he makes the, the impossible possible. And that's why they had to wait. And so you can imagine the pressure in that house for another 13 years and Hagar having to live in that house for another 13 years. Waiting is a familiar theme in Abram's life it's a familiar theme in our lives. So be patient, wait on God. We don't like to wait on God, but when we do wait on God, the blessings are all the better when he gives them to us in his own timing. So this week we have seen the trouble that we can get into when we get out ahead of God. And when we try and do things our own way, when we, when we try to reign on the throne of our lives ourselves and let of let, instead of letting God reign on the throne of our lives and letting him conduct the events of our lives. Uh, Ishmael was going to be another threat to the land, the blessing, and the promise. And God is going to have to deal with that now in future chapters, uh, which we will see. But let's also remember that we serve a God who sees. This God who sees, sees the problems that we all have and this is a God who is not too big or too busy to intervene in our lives. And he does it all the time uh, in, in so many ways. So uh, I would just like to, to uh, remember that Hagar was not too insignificant for God to deal with her problems. And neither are we. So uh, as we go forth from here today, I just want to go out glorifying this God who loves us so much 
uh, that nothing in our lives is too insignificant to him. We can give it to him. And, and so let's give it to him in prayer uh, as, we, as we go forth from here today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who sees. Lord, you picked Hagar out of the desert, uh, an insignificant maid, and, and sent her back home so that she could be under Abram's blessing. Lord, you, you love us all. You care for us all so deeply. Lord, help us not to get out ahead of you. Help us not to rush what it is that you're doing in our lives. Lord, help us to receive your blessing when it is that you want to bless and not to get upset and, and impatient when things are not going the way we feel that they should. Lord, help us to leave you on the throne of our lives and not to supplant you on the throne of our lives so that things will go well for us according to your plan. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins so that we might have eternal life if we believe in him. And we pray that we place our trust in him today. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.